Father, we thank you for this evening as we come to you. We uh, thank you that we have your word which tells us your truth and there is only one truth and that is yours because it is absolutely accurate. Thank you that we have a book that is without error. Your word, God's word. As we study Daniel's life, let us realize that you chose him for such a time as the one we are living in, a very tumultuous time. Father, let us, like Daniel, follow you faithfully, trust you completely, and give ourselves for whatever you have us to do, for you have placed us in this time for your glory and to see the name of your Son known throughout the world. We thank you for the new folks we have with us tonight, and we ask for those who are away, some are getting back from hunting trips and things like that, and we pray they have a really good time and a safe trip home. Guide us now as we go into Daniel 3, and let us understand how important this one chapter in your word is. We ask this in the name of the one who is the living word, your son. Amen. Amen. <coughs> Daniel chapter 3 is something that we have only in one other place in the Bible. We might think of it as the uh, presentation of all of the kingdoms or nations that are governed from the time of Daniel 1. Daniel, really, that time period begins when <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar took the uh, city of Jerusalem, and that really was in 609. He kept adding to it. Then in 586 B.C., the city was burned to the ground, as it were, by Nebuchadnezzar. Actually, his general, one of his generals, did it. From that time, we step out of the period of world history where the nation of Israel. We could start with the uh, coming, taking the land back in the 1400, if you will, into uh, the time of 586 B.C. That was a time when Israel was a nation ruled by a king. They divided, of course, into two kingdoms in 931 B.C after Solomon's reign, but they were under their own rulership or under God's rulership. The problem was they stopped being under their own rulership and decided they'd run their own show. <clears throat> and when you decide that, you basically uh, shut the door on your future history. But we have that time period. At the end of it, we have Babylon. And that is where we are with Daniel. Daniel came to Babylon in 606 B.C., he came on the, as you remember, <clears throat> what we might call a scholarship program. Uh, he came to Nebuchadnezzar University, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the greatest king they had, he followed his uh, father, Nebo Pelasser, and he would bring in the brightest and the best from everywhere else, the nations they conquered, and prepare them for royal service. And in Daniel, he had the 
greatest find that a person could have in personnel. And we're looking at his life. There were three other young men who also were taken from the nation of Israel or Judah. It was the southern kingdom was the only one left. And they were taken as well. And so I, you have what I call the fearsome foursome or the fateful foursome. And chapter 3 is strictly about them. And the other, we have Daniel and Daniel is an amazing person. As we go on, you're going to see God says something about Daniel that he says about no one else. And actually, he says it through an angel, and that, that's all right, too. That's pretty heavy. An angel met you going home tonight and said to you what he said to Daniel. You want to be sure you have your uh, humility in shape because what he said to Daniel is, you are highly honored and treasured by God. How would you like to have God send an angel to send that to you? Well, I can say to you, if you're in Christ, you are treasured by God, and uh, you have the opportunity by faith to be highly honored by God. But in chapter 3, we're dealing with three men, and they are, as it were, going to fulfill what is called in all of the other scripture prophecies, but this is a very special prophecy. They are going to receive the picture, the vision, and Nebuchadnezzar is going to receive it too. He's going to really be involved in this too. Actually, it comes to him, which is kind of strange, for he was not a believer in the Lord God. He believed he was there, but he was not a believer. But if we go on, you'll see that Nebuchadnezzar slowly God is going to reveal himself and he will respond until finally in chapter 4 he becomes a believer in the Lord and trust in him. But he becomes a hard way. He has to become a, uh, a lot of your cattle business. He becomes a, a, a bull, I guess you'd say, like that out in the field eating grass. But we'll come to that later. Chapter 3, however, becomes one of the two most important chapters about the future because chapter 3 includes you and me. In that chapter, God brings us through the time that we are in right now. Nebuchadnezzar is going to have a vision of an image, and this image covers all of human history from that moment, as it were, from Babylon all the way to the end of what we call the nations of the world ruling one or the other. It ends with the coming of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, which we find in the Revelation in chapter 19, but we will also see it here. And so we are going to be looking in prophetically at the kingdoms that will be the world beaters, will run the show in most places, for the time up until it all stops. My opinion is, and that's one of the reasons we went to Daniel and did not continue in Ephesians, we'll go back to Ephesians, but it's my opinion, and uh, it, it's from looking at God's Word and seeing where we are, that we are in the late afternoon of what we would call human history. Now, human history will go on, but... I'm talking about human history until the King of Kings comes, and that is the Lord Jesus. 
who will rule and reign for a thousand years and then will bring into being a new heaven and new earth. And he will, as it were, lead that. And if we are in Christ, we'll be part of it. Uh, as the Hebrew text says, for olam olam, forever and ever. And we will talk about that as we go on, because that is one incredible thing. But what we're seeing right now is movement, in my opinion, toward the last ruling uh, nation, as it were, or kingdom, whatever you want to call it, empire, that will be ruled by a person the Bible calls the Antichrist. It also calls him the beast. Nobody on earth called him that, but God does. And that will be the end of what we call the world ruled by men under God's hand, and God will rule directly. We'll see that as we go on. Now, the reason we are in this also is that we are in a time when we see before us people talking very seriously about one world government. Mm -hmm. Uh, the first time I saw it, I, my dad was in the airline business, and so I kind of tracked the airlines. And my sweetheart and I have spent a lot of time on airplanes, traveling to speak all over, here and there. An American came up with this uh, yeah, one slogan, one. one world. And I liked American Airlines until then. I still fly on them, but I'm not as secure as I used to be. Yeah. Last time I flew in Alaska, they said it too. Yeah. That was in 21. Yeah, and they are tied to American. They got that from yeah, yeah. the one world, Alaskan yeah. Air. Yeah, we. So at this point, we are in a time when we really are looking at a situation where this is talked about. I brought this little piece. It's in the, a lot of the, if you read uh, any of the major uh Newspapers, New York Times, one we love is the Epic Times because they tell the truth. Yeah. The yeah. New York Times yeah. does not tell the truth. Preach, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah. We love Epic Times. Yeah, Epic Times. We love Epic Times. New York. I used to read the New York Times. They actually had all the news. It was when I, we, I was in pastor in New York City for a number of years oh, in Manhattan. Right. And it, was, it was fine then, but... That was long ago. At any rate, you see again and again that they hint or speak directly about this move toward one world government. Uh, the, the people who are really involved with it call it the Great Reset. And uh, I got this in uh, Jan Merkels. He's a believer. He has an understanding of the Times little paper. And he just happened to hit on a lot of things, so I kept it and read it. And what it deals with is the people right now who are pushing us toward one world government. Now, we're all occupied, and I certainly follow that with you in what's happening in the Middle East, particularly in Israel. We have <clears throat> been going to Israel since 1969. It is really a second home for us. And we, we love to I grew up in a Jewish community. My name is Rose, but I'm not Jewish. I was Irish, but I didn't tell them that because I got invited to all the bar mitzvahs. <laughs> and I grew up in Miami. But the, and so I have a great love for the Jewish people. Uh, but my love is to see them come to their Messiah. 
And uh, so that is something that is really in play right now because we're seeing that the world does not love the Jewish people. If you see what's happening now, this is unparalleled. I've been watching this. Yet Germany and what they did, and somebody pointed out the other day, when Germany was trying to eradicate the Jews, they didn't publicize it. They hid it. The people who are trying it today spread it everywhere. And so we are seeing that happen. And that's kind of, and it's mainly we see out of uh, Hamas and, and uh, the um, backing of Iran and so forth. And these are nations that really, <clears throat> as I understand the scriptures, will be on the earth, but they will not be part of the great thrust that brings the one world government and the Antichrist. Now, having spent a lot of time in the Middle East from through the years, and been in other countries, Jordan and so forth, uh, the, we can understand why it's very hard for them to come to one world. They, if they don't have anybody else to fight, they fight each other. But uh, that, so I don't think that's going to bring it. But I think what is happening is revealing right now what is about to take place and is beginning to take place, that you have an unbelieving world that lives to wipe out the Jewish people. Now that's something that uh, has not happened and it will not, God will not let them all go. But we have to realize that that doesn't mean they're not going to suffer greatly. I'm doing a study at, uh, in our church on Sunday morning on the foundation of Israel and so forth. And what you find out in the foundation of Israel, God tells them. He says, I'm giving you this land. He makes three promises to them through Father Abraham. We call it the Abrahamic covenant, the Abrahamic barit, or God's commitment to Abraham. And he says that I'm going to give you and your seed three things. Land, population, or seed. You're going to grow into a great nation and blessing. And God has not changed that, but what he did say is that when you obey me, you get to stay on the land. When you don't, you're booted off. And you can read Deuteronomy, go to about chapter 30, and go through 34, and we find that. Well, they are back in the land now. I think that's more than just something that happened. Now, if they get booted off again, I'll say, well, I missed that one. <clears throat> but I don't think we will. And 1947, when Israel was voted, they voted the UN itself voted to petition uh, Palestine and make give Israel a nation. They, it didn't happen until 48. That's when it took place. The UN said it that way, and they declared their their statehood and were immediately invaded by six armies. And that has been their way since, but they are back. And so this tells us that we are really in, I think, the late afternoon of human history as we have known it. At any rate, uh, the, what we are seeing right now is, I think, Satan showing his hand as he often does. I mean, this, this is just unbelievable. And uh, we've looked, my wife and I spent number of years. I lived as a boy in New York City and then she she's there. She, we were there in a pastorate for a number of years and we've never seen anything quite like this. 
The other thing we have to know about this is that ultimately there are going to be nations that primarily come out of Europe, out of the old Roman age, that are going to restart, and we call them the ten, the ten nations in the uh, in the Bible, the Scripture. We see it, and we're going to see it in Daniel, and we're going to see it in, or we did see it last week in Daniel, and we're going to see it in the Revelation, or if you study that. And those nations are basically out of Europe. They're not out of somewhere else. So I think that'll come forward, and that brings us back to <clears throat> this one world government, which is being pushed by a rather interesting group. The main author is a, a, a German diplomat and a politician named Klaus Schwab. Mm -hmm. And uh, he heads up the World Economic Forum. And I, I won't go into reading some of the things they say, but their whole point is to let man rule the world, that they're going to be the rulers of that, and that uh, we, 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 they say the Christian faith will be gradually suppressed uh, as is happening today. That was the, what the guy wrote that put in. They are pressuring the Christians in every way. You may have seen in the uh, paper just the last few days or heard on television that Canada has uh, put restrictions on the chaplains in their military. And these chaplains, these are men who minister to the, uh, the army, men and women in their, their, uh, the Canadian army, they have been told they could not talk about God Cannot mention the name of Jesus. Cannot pray. Cannot pray. You can encourage people to don't pray. You can't. You can say things like, we want to think about this, or we uh, use the word uh, re reflect. Reflect. You, reflect. Can, you, you can meditate. That's meditate and reflect. But you cannot use the word pray. You cannot use the word God. And you cannot read any Bible. One of the reasons we're in Daniel is, so you see that restriction. We're going to see it here. But I want to encourage you. We want to be like a Daniel. Yes. My son, who's a surgeon, has also been gifted by God to, in his speaking and ministry. Uh, he likes to say, God has called us not to be an audience, but an army. I don't want to say that is true. So Daniel 3, though, is a very important to this whole issue because what it reveals is that there will be an end to world governments and God will reign olam ba olam. So we'll look at that. Uh, the uh, nations that are in the World Economic Forum will um, eventually bring about the Ten Nations and they're trying it right now, and out of them will come one ruler who will rule it all, and he, of course, is called the Antichrist. Now, in Daniel, we see the formation of these nations that are to come. In Daniel's day, one was there. He's in it, Babylon. But the others are there, all of them through Rome, and Rome in its final form, which we'll see as we go on. 
historians point out very clearly that uh, good historians, uh, what we call people who, who delve in world history, um, they would all agree that the Roman Empire is not dead, it's just right under the surface, particularly of Europe and in a sense of the states. It is interesting that we do not have any indication of the U.S. in the Revelation, and I don't know whether that means we're all going up in a puff of smoke or what. If you're a believer, hopefully it would be the trumpet sounds and you'll go up to be with him. So at any rate, we are in Daniel, we are looking at this future history. Now much of it has happened since then because Rome has been a nation and then they will come back. But when Daniel is there, this is all going to be future history. That is why, as we said last week, the book of Daniel, the prophecy of Daniel is the most maligned book in the Old Testament. And uh, we found that, you find that throughout uh, the history, particularly since about uh, 1750, when you have the change of the church into higher criticism, and they said, no, this is not God's word, it's man's word, and we can change it however we want. But at any rate, we are going to see in Daniel, and this is why it is so maligned, Satan doesn't like it. We're going to see in Daniel that there are these nations that are going to come, what God is going to do about them, and what that will be like. But we start in three with a story probably all of us learned in Sunday school if we went to Sunday school. It's the story of uh, a king who blows his royal top. And uh, he's quite a king. And no matter how many times we hear this story, it's still great to go through it. And he uh, is about to blow his top. He literally is the ruler of the what we would call the civilized world. His name, as I said, was, we say, Nebuchadnezzar. And the old language is Nebuchadnezzar, so what we can call him Nebuchadnezzar. But he, he rules, he takes over, he conquers, he does all of these good things. And in chapter 2, you'll remember that something happened to him. Can anybody tell me what happened to him in chapter 2? Had a dream. Had a dream, yeah. yeah. And that dream was a, a whopper. And uh, you remember we looked at it last time, he goes... He, he, he wakes up in the middle of the night. He's had this dream. Though he, he, we're still in the Hebrew text, and it says he dreamed and dreamed. It meant he had the dream night after night after night. Now, I have some recurring dreams. Usually I'm back in New York and at Calvary Baptist, so <laughs> and that was a good dream. But this is not a, not a settling dream for his neptness. And finally, he has this dream, and he's had enough, and he gets out of bed, and he calls for all of his royal cabinet, and that included astrologers, soothsayers, politicians, all of those. And these were people who could actually go into his presence. Now, if you weren't asking to his presence or had an official reason to be there, you didn't go. Because if you went, you didn't come back. And it was dead serious about it. He was very serious about that. But he calls them together, remember, and uh, he says, I've had a dream, and I don't know what it means, and I'd like you to tell me the dream and interpretation. Remember, these guys were, first they're getting us probably two or three in the morning, you know, they're rubbing their eyes, 
And he said that, no, well, I can do that because they all knew how to interpret dreams. That was one of the big things that the wise men, the soothsayers, and the men of magic could do. Well, he, of course, uh, knows what the dream is. They say, they say to him, they don't know that. You tell us the dream, O king, and we'll give you an interpretation. He says, yeah, I know you will. You'll tell me whatever you, you want to tell me because he says, unless you tell me the dream and then an interpretation, you've had it. Well, all of a sudden, they were wide awake because they couldn't do it. And he had already told them what would happen if you are able to interpret the dream, you will receive great riches and honor. And he was serious about that. But he said, if you can't, you're going to be limbed. That's all it says. Now, what that meant was we're going to have horses tied with a chain or rope to your each arm, each leg, around your neck, and they're all going to be pointing in different directions, and we're going to say, giddy up. And that's exactly what they did to people. So all of a sudden they were wide awake. And of course, we remember last week we found that Daniel was, he didn't get to go to the big conference. He was a wise man, junior grade, junior grade wise man, didn't get to go to the, before the king, but he did get to go to the execution. And Ariok, who's head of the uh, killing committee, he was, he was the head of his execution squads and his secret service, came to Daniel's door and knocked on Daniel's door and one of the other, I love it, one of the other of the force and goes to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and they come back and when they see it, it's Ariok and he didn't look too happy, he said, Daniel, it's for you. So Daniel goes quickly to there and Daniel talks to Ariok and you begin to get a sense of what it means to really be a woman of God or man of God who is able to present God to people who really are not that interested in him. And apparently Ariok really had great respect for Daniel even at this young age. And so he says, he says uh, take me before the king and I'll, I'll tell him what he means. Now he didn't have the, he hadn't prayed yet, he hadn't dreamed, but this is faith. <coughs> he said, I know God will give me. And when he prayed, God gave him the dream dream and then if you go through the rest of two you have this great prayer phrase and then they take him into the king and uh, he when he trans tells the king what the dream what it is and what it means remember he said no man can do this but God can and that's what we're to be like that's what we get out of this chapter if you're a woman of God a man of God and God works he will work through you and you'll have things happen that you just can't explain any other way I've watched my wife for so many years and God use her and I, I love to see it well she doesn't say yeah I know how to do that no she says that's from God not from me because that's what it is and that's who it is we come to chapter 3 of course we uh, come to the king going to do something now and Nebuchadnezzar is not a believer at this point in fact he is anything but now he's very bright one of the great military leaders of all time but he he says he'd been told by Daniel that he wasn't in this great statue ahead of gold he said well let's make that real the problem, of course, Nebuchadnezzar faced is he is now ruling an empire that stretched all the way around the Fertile Crescent. That's a lot of people. Basically, the civilized world all answered to him. 
Well, that's not an easy thing to do because this sprawling empire was multicultural and it was multi-religious and all kind of groups. And how do you bring that together? Well, you do it by first impressing on them what you'll do if they don't follow you, and secondly, letting something miraculous be before them religiously and politically that will cause them to fall in line. And so we come to chapter 3 and this is what he's going to do. This is what he's going to do to solidify the leadership. I was talking to my oldest son one day and I said, uh, God, uh, or that Satan does nothing new. He, he just retracts everything he tries. God is always doing something new. Well, you see this, this particular thing that Satan does nothing new. You know, what he does, those he has in his hand, he has them uh, all of a sudden uh, build something that's miraculous, do something that's miraculous so they will follow him, particularly an idol or an image. If you follow through history, you'll find that happens again and again. That these people who ruled would have an image or something that said, you're number one. Well, this one starts, he says, I'm going to have a golden image. And verse 1 of chapter 3, uh, Brent, would you read us, uh, read us 1 through uh, 7, if you would. All right, let me find the bottom of 7. Okay, all the way through. Nebuchadrezzar, the king, made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits, and its width was 60 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura, in the province of Babylon. And the king of Nebuchadrezzar sent word to gather together the satraps and the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the, ma the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadrezzar had set up. So the satraps and the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadrezzar had set up. They, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadrezzar had set up. Then a herald cry aloud, to you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and, and, and salutary, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadrezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall, shall be cast immediately into the midst of of a burning fiery furnace. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, and lyre, and symphony, and all kinds of music, all the people, nations, languages fell down and worshiped the gold image which King Nebuchadrezzar had set up. Okay. Today we. All but three. Yeah. We, yeah. <laughs> all but three. They, we haven't gotten it, but yeah, today they all but three are going to going to bow down. You see, when you're threatened with uh, a fire-belching furnace, they had back not one, but they had a whole series of them. They're still there. You go to Paleo, Old Babylon, and they're out there. They're part of the ruin. 
But that is, uh, that was what happens if you didn't worship. They fired it up and they, you had fried wise man. And that kind of uh, encouragement uh, can stir up a, a lot of holy homage to the gods. And so that was the call. Now, the uh, doing this, he's trying to bring everybody together. And this, of course, is exactly what you see with the Caesars. And the first Caesar we see is that does this is not Julius, but it's the second great Caesar, Sebastiani, who has, uh, first when the Senate wanted to make him a god, declare him a god, he said, no, I don't want to do that. Then he thought about it overnight and said, yeah, that's a pretty good idea. I'll be a god. Well, this is, he, he Nebuchadnezzar is going to make sure everybody knows. Now, it says he makes an image. One of the persons uh, I really enjoy reading on scripture is the president of our seminary, Dr. Walward. He says that he felt like that image was only political. Well, that's one place I did disagree with Dr. Walbert. It was certainly political. It was to draw people together. But it was also religious. You see, an idol is something that the ancient world used to manipulate the gods to do what they want. They build an idol of the god, the gods like it, and then you're able to manipulate the gods to let you do good and wonderful things. And that was certainly part of this. At any rate, this is all set up, and he wants to be sure everybody's involved. Now, the people involved are, that are brought are his leadership, not only from Babylon, but from the different satraps. These were like counties. And so they all come together to bow down before the king. I love this scene because you know, Daniel's not there. We, we do not know where Daniel was. He's second in command of the kingdom by this time, even as a young man. But the three, the, the big three, the trio are there. And that is going to create a problem. And we pick this up. For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans, verse 8, came forward and brought charges against the Jews. And they responded and said, Nebuchadnezzar the, to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psaltery, the bagpipe, and all kinds of music is to fall down and worship the golden image. The next verse, two verses are going to tell us that politics are real murder. They haven't changed a bit. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews. Now, this, this is real. I mean, we're talking about the same thing today that we were talking about then. That has gone on. And uh, I used to be an engineer back before God kicked me in the tunic and sent me to seminary and all that and uh, one of my fellow engineers, we lived near each other, so we rode to work together every day up in Connecticut. I was with the United Aircraft, and so we'd go to work together. And he was not a believer, and so I'd share Christ with him and all this. And the one thing that made him stop and think, and I hope he thought enough to finally come to the Lord Jesus, was the Jewish people. I said, they are supernaturally cared for by God. Mm -hmm. Now you think about that. There is no race 
group, people group, whatever, that has been going on since 2025 B.C. That's the date of Father Abraham when God speaks to him. And he said, your seed, and that seed will go on. And so they, they are there. And the, the, other, the second thing about it is that the only one that goes on and they're certainly the one that all other nations love to hate. And if you see what's happening now, you say, why? You know, you've got people who live in a piece of land right now at this point that's 221 miles north to south and 70 miles at the widest east to west. That's all it is. You know, we got, we got counties in Texas that are bigger than that. And yet the whole world is upset about this. Anyway, so that's what happens. And he says, this is, they've come to tell the king, these are bad, bad people. And uh, they, the certain Jews, and, and they go ahead over the, and they're upset about one other thing. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the providence that we didn't get our part of the pie. Politicians hate that. I used to teach a Bible study when I was pastoring in Austin uh, for the, uh, when the Senate was in, in the House were in session. And it was fascinating. When we'd start meeting, they'd all be in one group. We'd, we'd, we'd stop and we'd, I'd teach and then they'd have discussion and prayer if they wanted to have prayer. And they would all be together. It wasn't two weeks before. All the Dems are over here, all the Republicans are over here. So it hadn't changed a whole lot. Everybody wants a piece of what's going on. Certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the provinces of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Now one thing you didn't want to do with an all-out dictator, ruler, all-powerful, who had a very short fuse is to light that fuse. Yeah, they, they managed to do it. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these men were brought before the king. Now, something must have happened. Uh, it must have been a little time till they got to him and brought him to the king because his nebness is sort of calmed down by the time you get to verse 14. And Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is this true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods and, or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, at this point, normally he'd say, So that's the end of you. Take him out. Let's have fried juice get it done. That's not what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, you got to have the barbecue. Now, if you are ready at the moment, see, he's going to give them a second chance. As far as we know from the royal records, he never gave anybody a second chance. He's going to give him a second. Now, you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psaltery, and the bagpipe, and all kinds of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made. It's my image very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there that can deliver you out of my hands? 
That's not what you want to tell God, but he does. God's very patient with this guy, by the way. So, now, here is their situation. They are there, and they've been found out. Now, the question is, how were they found out? Well, when the music started playing, all of these prelates and leaders and the government and everything were a sea of backs. They were all on their face. Not all of them. Except three. Mm -hmm. That's right. You know, I got a real feel for this. We, were, we used to go through Beirut, Lebanon, when we were taking groups to the Middle East or going over there to do something. And we were in Beirut. I'll never forget it. And it was right after the Hajj. The Hajj is when a Muslim goes to the, yeah, and go around the circle around the cube. Yeah, and go around the cube. The, the, and, but they, they're coming home now. So we're in the Beirut airport. We had a group of about 50 people. We're up on the third floor in a nice dining room having, having lunch. The bottom floor is where everybody who doesn't have quite as much to spend goes. So I said, I wanted to get a, I don't know what I want, some, a newspaper or you something. You wanted to walk around and see Yeah, what well, I go down to the, okay, she's right. I, <laughs> might as well tell the truth in the Bible story. So I go down to the, it's really the basement floor. And I mean, there are, it's, it, these are serious Muslims there all, and they're mostly Sunni, which is good. The Shiites are the ones that are creating the big problem. But it's packed down there, and they all, and all of a sudden, we hit the third hour of prayer. And then Moisein says, Allah, like bin Allah, and all that stuff. And they all go down on their faces. There were a couple hundred people there, except me. I'm standing up there going to the counter and there's all these people and there's me. You know, the great temptation is, you don't know if I worship that way today, Lord. I didn't do that. But you can imagine that it took a lot of chutzpah, a lot of faith to say, we are not bowing down. Now they're in the midst of thousands and they stand up. And so they do and the king says, we're going to give you another chance, but... That's going to be the it if you don't react properly. But verse 16 brings us to the key to this passage. Of course, it begins, as it were, the, uh, as we shall see, the, uh, the time when the Nebuchadnezzar is beginning to know who the Lord is, and uh, he is uh, going to um, finally be brought to the Lord. But that's not there yet. These are helping him down the road. And so what we hear them say is, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom you serve, whom we serve, he's going to serve you, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They just told the king of all living creatures on earth that they're not going to do what he says. But did you notice what they said? Now, they don't say, we're not going to serve, and uh, 
your God. We're not going to worship your God. And God will deliver us. No, he says he can, he, if he does, but even if he does not, this is the key to following our Lord in tough times. And gang, I got to say to you, we're facing tough times. Standing up, following the Lord Jesus. And they, they knew that, but they said, now, we know God can deliver us. And that's what we're trusting him to do. But if not, we are still going to trust him. You see, faith is not trusting him if, but faith is trusting him in whatever happens. You may be having a rough time in your life on something, and we go through things, all of us, where we have it. And you say, temptation, Lord, if you'll take me out of this, boy, I'll really serve faithfully. That's not the way it works. We say, Lord, I'm having this tough time, and you can take me out and through it, but if you don't, Lord, my trust is in you. I want to mention something about these three young men. They're not mentioned again in the Old Testament. That doesn't mean that they are not marvelous men of faith. They were. Because God makes sure they're mentioned. If you go over to Hebrews, you can write it down. We're not going to turn to it. To 1134. You, yeah, yeah. They, they are blessed. And they're in the hall of fame of faith in that passage. At any rate, they say we're not going to do it. Now, that's the thing about these young men that made them people who could turn a king toward God. I believe they had as much influence on Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar as, David, as Daniel did. Because it wasn't, their faith wasn't if he helps us, we'll trust him, but we'll trust him whatever comes. We need to really hold to that. I love watching some of the news programs. We've had several on one of the big news conglomerates, Fox, where one young gal, I'm listening to her with all that's going on, and she says, well, you've got to know the Bible says that God is going to give that land to the Jews. And everybody's going, hup, hup, hup. She said it. And you've got some people who are speaking out and the other thing that's happened that we need to be praying about, somebody who speaks out is the new speaker of the house <coughs> is a follower. Yeah, yeah. Mike, is, he is a committed follower of Christ. And I mean, what he said was, I, would, I would just, yeah, almost wrecked the car. I wouldn't dress good thing for us to drive Very exciting. At any rate, these young men do this. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was not that impressed. Well, he was impressed, but the wrong way. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath, and his facial expression was altered toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he, Isn't that what we see today on television of the Palestinians that coming out against the Jews? Their facial expressions yeah. are wild. Yeah, you, oh, and it's all over the world. Yeah. If you want to see, groups. that's right. I, and I that's read that and I thought that's exactly what we're seeing. That is Satan on yeah, move. Absolutely. And something else that was brought to my attention, which I didn't even think about, because it's happening, you know, in Great Britain and USA and and Europe, but the people who are standing up are whiter than white, and so they're standing out to be attacked. 
Yeah. Because like you said, they're standing up. They're standing they're up. They're standing and... up. And Hamas, <laughs> which means violence, now they're targets. And they're setting themselves up to be attacked. Yeah, when you, once you do, you set yourself yeah. up. And that's uh, one of the reasons, too, we need to pray for, for Mike. Uh, for the Absolutely. House. Johnson, yeah. Yeah, Mike Johnson, you're right. Well, they, these young men stood up and uh, they, they uh, were thrown into, and he commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. Then these men were tied up in their trousers and their coats and their caps and their other clothes clothes. I'm glad I didn't have to be in that And their turbans. Yeah, you got it. And work. Cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. For this reason, because the king's command was urgent, the furnace had been made extremely hot. The flames of the fire slew those men who carried Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Blessed. These were his, some of his best warriors. That was a real waste. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, still tied up. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and stood up in haste and said to his officials, Was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? And they replied to the king, Certainly, O king, and he said, Look, I see four men loose walking about in the midst of fire without harm, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Now, God chose to save these men. They did not know that he would, but he did. And they are walking around, and I don't think their pulse changed a bit. They just, you know, they were calmly trusting God. Now they are, <clears throat> the other thing that happens is Nebuchadnezzar, these furnaces, you, in fact, you can, if you, I'll, maybe I can find a big picture. I've got a small picture in one of, one of our study books of, of these furnaces. There are about 20 of them still left out on the plain of Dur, or near the plain of Dur. It's just southwest of where the, the, the image was. Anyway, that uh, they, are made so that they they will uh, melt metals and so forth, but also melt fry people. And there's a at the bottom there is a window with a slide on it, and they fed fuel there, or you could watch what's happening there. And Nebuchadnezzar was down watching to see the flames consume these who stood against him, and instead he sees one like a son of the gods. Now. That statement itself does not mean that he saw the one who is the Son of God. The, the, uh, the Aramaic text is exactly what it says. But, believe me, that's who they saw. He saw someone he knew that was supernatural. And it is my opinion, and this is strictly an opinion, but that this one was not a son of the gods. He was the son of the only God. And he's there. Now, at this point, the satraps, the perfects, and governors, and the king's high officials gathered around and saw, in regard to these men, that the fire had not affected their bodies, uh, the bodies of these men, nor was the hair, there was no singe, 
uh, was their hair head singed, nor were their trousers damaged, uh, and nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. They did not singed or smelly, either one. They just walked out as if they'd had an afternoon out visiting. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whose servants, who, his servants who put their trust in him, violating the king's command and yielding up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. He's on his way. And I love this. Now we're going to see him trust the Lord next week. It's, uh, I hope Neil's here. He's a cattle man. Nebuchadnezzar is going to become one of them. But at this point, he has responded. Therefore, he says, and from here on, he'll make a decree and he'll bless some and curse others. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn. He likes to limb people shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to, remember what we said last week, rubbish heap is not a correct, literally it's to outdoor ba or, uh, public bathrooms, inasmuch as there is no other God who is alive to deliver in this way. Then honey, the king... Honey, you overlooked the phrase and I wanted to ask you... Go ahead. Who has sent his angel... Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm sorry, I went by it. Yeah. Who has sent his angel and delivered his servants. Yes, and Probably at this point he recognized this one that was obviously supernatural as an angel. Now we know it was more than an angel. There are going to be a lot of angels in Daniel. Angels are coming to him again and again. And that was the one that gave him God's message that you're greatly treasured and honored. And so, but this is that he recognized that he had been supernaturally saved and he knew that the. Uh, and so he calls this one an angel. And, you know, that's our Lord Jesus is called in the Old Testament the angel of the Lord. And so that is in one sense true. Now the decree gets everybody uh, tearing up some, honoring others. But then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. He's on his way. The three have been raised up. And we have three who said God can. He may not. It's not it, faith, though, is not an if. If he does, we'll do. We'll follow him. If not, we're not. If he doesn't, then we're going to follow him anyway in what he does. And that's, any questions on this? Because this is, I think, a terrific.